Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hockey Talk. As always, Paul Hillier along with Andy Clark and Steve Fitzsimmons. And uh, guys, uh, this this being a, a, a momentous occasion for us, uh, the trade deadline Monday, today is devoted to that show and... Uh, a little bit slower than some other weeks have been, but or weeks, years have been in the trade deadline show, but uh, still a lot going on. And uh, why don't we kick things off with uh, maybe who we thought did better maybe than we thought they would or did at least what we thought they would and a few teams that maybe uh, kind of sold off the boat and maybe didn't do a little bit of what we thought they might do. Should mention before we get into that that uh, Patrick O'Sullivan, the uh, uh, from Sirius XM uh, Satellite Radio, um, the NHL channel, will join us uh, partway through to chat a little bit about his thoughts on the, the NHL trade deadline as well. And of course, he follows the Leafs quite closely and and around the league, and I'm sure he'll have some interesting thoughts as well. Absolutely, and it'll be fun to talk to him again. I mean, we've, we've talked to Patrick. Before. Every year, yeah, and, yeah. So yep. keep keep this couple of guests that we have back every year. So it should be fun to have a chat with him. In fact, uh, Patrick may actually be our first four-time guest because I believe was he on twice last year. He may have been, yeah. Yeah, I think he was on twice last year. Uh, he was on our first year, so yeah, we we have four with the hat trick, and he's the first one with, uh, with four appearances. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Well, there you go. When you have good guests, you might as well stick with them <laughs> and get great insights from them. Uh, so to your question, Paul, um, here, let me start with this. I thought the biggest overpay of the of the trade deadline was by far the Boston Bruins for Rick Nash. Absolutely. Um, okay. Ryan Spooner and a first-round pick is absolute insanity. I think you could make a case that he's worth Ryan Spooner on his own. Or the first-round first pick. But certainly not both. No. And I, I honestly don't know, although he scored in his first game for the Boston Bruins, but... I mean, this is a guy that had, what, 14 goals on the year. He's not the Rick Nash that we knew of old. And, uh, you know, I think they paid largely on reputation because I don't think there was as big a bidding war as you might have been led to believe on that one. Certainly the last time uh, the Rangers made the playoffs, Rick Nash was the only one who really stood out as a forward um, on both ends of the ice. Uh, I was impressed there, but is it worth all that they paid for him. No. I, I I would agree with you. They they overpaid. I'm a big Rick Nash fan, and I think he still has some value. He's not that 40-goal scorer we were used to, but, yeah, I think they paid way too much. Would it have yeah. shocked you if they said the price was a second and a third? I mean, that's the price I was thinking for Rick Nash, not a first-round pick. And a great young player in Ryan Spooner who who can play. Like can this, play. this guy's a 45-50 point center. I think the factor yeah. is... cheap money. I think the factor is Rick Nash is one of the bigger names out there, and that carries some cachet. And GMs want to be not only make moves, but they want to be seen to be making moves for their fan base and for their bosses. So I think maybe there was probably more people knocking at the door, which would push it up from a second and a third. But you're right. That's I love that one for the Rangers. I also like yeah. what they did in uh, parlaying their assets from Ryan McDonough to the Tampa Bay Lightning. I thought they got great value back. Uh, JT Miller, of course, went in that trade as well. McDonough and Miller for Nemesnikov. Brett Howden, who was a first-round pick in 2016, yep. a great Western Hockey League player, among the league leaders in scoring. And Libor uh, Vachak, or whatever is pronounced, um, Plus a first-round pick in 2018 and a conditional second. When you look at, I mean, this Libor has played extraordinarily well in the Western Hockey League. He's a point-of-game defenseman who a lot of people really like this year. Um, plus the first and a conditional second. I mean, that, to me, is a boatload of assets. They gave up a great player, their captain. JT Miller can score. But I think JT Miller has proven himself to be a 20-goal, 45- to 50-point player. You can buy those players anywhere. Nemesnikov more than makes up for that. Yeah. So then you look at, if you call Miller, Nemesnikov, Nemesnikov a bit younger, uh, a wash, then you get Howden, Libor, first and a second for McDonough. I love it for the New York Rangers. And, you know, you're looking at the Rangers team. I mean, they're not really playoff contenders this year. No, not you at all. Know, but they might be considered one of the winners on trade deadline day Absolutely. because they, they got rid of... A bunch of, you know, their core, I guess, but so to speak. But they did pick up a quite a bit for the future, and they realized that they weren't going to go anywhere this year. Should they have starting. gone further, though, with Henrik? Do you think Henrik Lundqvist should have been that other guy that should have went, I wonder? I, I think their marketing is built around him. Yeah. He's kind of infused himself into that city because even beyond, well beyond hockey fans in New York, they know Henrik Lundqvist. So. Yeah, I don't think he'll ever go anywhere. I think he's yeah. going to play out play out the rest of his career right. with the Rangers. Um. 
Now, having said that, I think Tampa paid an awful lot. Uh, Rangers did really well, but given that Tampa's really looking like they have a good shot. And they've they got a swing for the fence, right? So I, I, I wouldn't say that they got fleeced or anything in that regard. Like it's, it's they got not, two good players. It's not an even trade, but they they did arm themselves for a long playoff run, and they certainly paid a good price for it. So that, that's one I think either way works out. Definitely, the Rangers did really well. I will say, knowing Tampa's farm system um, the way I do, you know they've got a lot of good young players coming up that they could afford to part with these two young players. And perhaps, and we look at this first round pick. It's going to be a late pick, obviously, in the first yeah. round. It's going to be 30, 31, 29, something like that. It's not as big a deal as if you're trading in the top 10. Let's Absolutely, be honest about yeah. that. So, is there value to it? Sure, there's a lot of value to it. But I agree with you on the sense that, you know, Tampa Bay was in a position that they could afford to give this price and did. And so good on them to take a swing at this. And, you know, that this, this kind of deal is, is bad news for Maple Leafs fans, of course, because. The top three in that conference are Toronto, Boston, Tampa Bay. So Toronto is going to have to play probably those two teams in the first round. So that only makes things more difficult now with Boston loading up with Nash and then getting McDonough and Miller for Tampa Bay. So it's going to be an interesting playoffs for sure. Since we're talking about the Rangers, here's a a deal I thought was an interesting one that probably flew under a lot of people's radar. But when uh, the Rangers traded uh, Grabner, to mm-hmm. uh, the Devils, right? And uh, in exchange, they got Yegor uh, Rikoff and a second-round pick. And I think that's solid return for uh, for Grabner. But the thing with Grabner is, I think he's actually been underrated for quite a few he years. He can score in bunches because for how much money the league pays for consistent twenty goal scores. Now he has like that statistical anomaly. I think right now he has twenty-seven goals and like six assists. Yeah. But he was a, like a 27, 28, 29 goal scorer last year. Yep. And what people need to appreciate is, I think last year, it was statistically he averaged something like two seconds a game of play uh, power play time. Right. So he's scoring his 27, 28, 29 goals. Even strength. With no power play to bolster that. So that's such a value. And his speed, right? That yeah. was the big thing with the Rangers. They always uh, did those long stretch passes and you'd break away and score. So I actually think that getting the second round in a Russian prospect uh, in Rikov, not bad for the Rangers, but I also think it was a very strong move for the Devils. Because, you know, you've got you got Hall there and he, he needs people to play with. And they got some good young talent coming along. So adding Grabner to that mix for what they paid, I think was a really, really good move for the Devils. And they, you're right about that, Andy. They, they really picked up the pace. I mean, they're not going to be cup contenders this year, but they solidified a shot at at least winning one playoff round this year. And, you know, their fans need to see that because they really haven't done a lot in the past few and years. And you know what? They went to a further step. They picked up Patrick Maroon, Patrick Maroon of course, yep. for, for a prospect and a third-round pick. And so, you know, they gave up a second and a third and a couple of prospects that aren't sort of highly touted in their minors or in their in their in their system to take a run at you know maybe winning a round maybe getting to the maybe even to the conference final if they got really lucky you never know you know they have a great goaltender they have a great goaltender in Corey Schneider he gets hot you never know what can happen I think their defense is maybe a little bit underrated as well you know Um, with Andy Green and yeah I think they're 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 kind of they're kind of um, you know. They're not household names per se. Maybe aside from the way Will Butcher has played this year, but you know they're guys that get the job done. And you know I think they're going to have a decent playoff run at it. And uh, you're right. I think the risk, you know, is, is worth the, what they paid for the for both of those players. And if and if you look at the the way the standings are shaping up in that conference too. They could get lucky, and maybe Washington and Pittsburgh will end up playing each other in the first round. Yep. So if New Jersey could win their first round series, they might end up only having to play one of those two teams. So, you know, that gives them a shot at maybe getting the series because neither Washington or Pittsburgh are the real powerhouse that they were last year. And, I mean, everyone still thinks Pittsburgh is Stanley Cup favorites and, and going with that. Well, until but, they get beat, I guess. But you know what? They don't look near as... as uh, they look consistent. The, they don't have the consistency that they had last year. They still might win the cup again this year. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, with Matt Murray getting that concussion too, yeah, that and that's a big, big blow question to them. Mark, so yeah, yeah, it certainly is going to put a damper on their goaltending situation if uh, he's not back. So I, I, before we move on, I just want yeah. to say then. So I know if uh, if I'm doing the math on it, it's not big splashy moves, but I'm actually going to put New Jersey as one of my winners because okay. we're going to talk winners losers. Yep, uh, those were pre. Small moves, but they got some really, really good quality that has a high probability of giving them a good chance to do some good stuff. 
and they didn't pay a whole lot for it. So both of those moves I really, really they like. They didn't give New up Jersey. their first rounder, which is hard to do. And yeah. so yeah. good for them for that. Um, you know, a couple of underrated things I thought were done. Um, and I know some people are going to totally disagree with me on this. But actually, I liked what the Vegas Golden Knights did getting Thomas Tatar from the Detroit Red Wings. They paid their first round pick this year, a second round next year, and a third round pick in 2021. But they have a boatload of picks. They have three first rounders this year anyway. And right now, their first rounder is the latest one of the three they have. Yeah. I mean, who would have predicted that the Vegas Golden Knights would trade their own first round pick because they're in such good shape and uh, doing so well? I thought it sent a great message to their to their team who are playing lights out, let's be honest. I mean, they're a Stanley Cup contender without question right now, I think. And Tatar is a younger guy. You know, he has some experience. He's played in a good program. He's a 20 to 25 goal scorer with a little bit of jam to his game. I like that move. I also like that they got Ryan Reeves basically for almost nothing, you know, and a fourth round pick as part of that whole transaction with the Derek Broussard thing in Ottawa and Pittsburgh. And basically they they ended up taking on some cap space and parted with the minor leaguer to get Ryan Reeves and a fourth round pick. Don't forget, Ryan Reeves was bought last summer by the Pittsburgh Penguins for their first rounder in 2017. So he has fallen, priced him at what you think he's worth now. Is he worth a third still? So they basically got a third and a fourth for a minor leaguer and using some of their cap space. Genius move there by George McPhee. He used the value of some of his cap space. He used some of those excess picks to get a legitimate 20 to 25 goal scorer from a really good program and a younger player that can improve with this team, Thomas Tatar. I like what Vegas did. Yeah, they've only improved themselves. They got a little bit tougher having Reeves. And if you guys know that going through the playoffs, you need a little bit of toughness because it wears on you after a while. So having a guy like Reeves around is is not going to be a bad idea. I mean, they're what? Between them and Tampa Bay are the best teams in the NHL right now. And I mean, Mm -hmm. back in September, who would thought the three of us would be sitting here talking about Vegas being one of the best teams in the NHL? So you're right. Good for them. They've done nothing. It's unprecedented what they've done. And and you know what? They had to deal with it in an unprecedented manner. They could have sold David Perron for a first-round pick. They could have sold all kinds of guys for, for lots of value. They decided, you know what, we have a special situation that's unprecedented in professional sports. We're in a situation that no other expansion team has ever been in. And we're going to take a run at this thing. And you know what, we have a ton of picks because of our asset management of how we handled the draft last year. They've got boatloads of picks. So let's use a few of them and get a a really good NHL player that's going to grow with us over the next seven to eight years and bolster our team when we're in this kind of shape. I, I really like, it took some Kajonas, and I really like what they did. Yeah. You've uh, made a good case here, because when I was looking at it from the angle of Thomas Tatar being a good player from a good program, I, I thought a first, a second, and a third was too steep to pay. But when you put it in the context of they had three first-round picks, and this is the lowest of them all, and it's probably going to be a 26, 27, 28, or whatever have you, what have you, you're right, actually. You've convinced me on that, that actually it's a very smart, smart move. Yeah, it was kind of the under the... I thought it was maybe one of the trades of the day. Um, I mean, the other one for me that I thought was a, kind of a, a an under-the-radar... I mean, it was a guy that a lot of people were talking about, but I thought the price was really good, was Evander Kane to the San Jose Sharks for basically a second... Um, and if the, he re-signs with San Jose, then it would be a first-round pick to Buffalo. And, you know, this guy is... A, 25 to 30 goal scorer. You know, he, he brings a physical element to his game. He can skate. I mean, we know he's got some off-ice situa- issues that uh, have been long rumored and talked about. But at the end of the day, he can play hockey. And you know what? That's a strong leadership group in San Jose. You've got Joe Thornton. You've got Brent Burns. He's a little bit off the wall. Maybe Evander Kane's a little bit off the wall. Maybe that fits in pretty well. Peter DeBoer, uh, a strong coach, that, uh, you know, as a disciplinarian, I suspect Devander Kane is going to thrive in that situation. And don't forget, he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. He's going to want to go um, and prove that he's worth the money that he's going to get in his next contract as well. I think for San Jose, that's a value play for a second rounder. And, and see, I, I, don't, I'm not gonna, I wouldn't even go there with him. Uh, to me, he's just a poison pill wherever he goes. He's done nothing but cause trouble wherever he's been. And 
San Jose, if, if he works out, that's fine and dandy. He'll be a good pick because he does have skill. But what else he brings to the table is just something I don't want. You have to have the right kind of team for him. Or, you know, um, a team with not a uh, with a younger leadership group with a, a not very strong leadership group. He probably doesn't work out very well. But I mean, you're not going to go in and tell Joe Thornton how this team's going to be run. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. Or right? even a Burns, right? Right. Or even Brent Burns or some of the other guys. You know, and and so he's going to go in and try to be a good soldier and probably score some goals for them. I think. So having said that. Yeah, because here's here's where, you know, twice bitten because it didn't work out for him in Winnipeg and it didn't work out for him in Buffalo. But having said that, Buffalo has been omni-shambles for a few years and Winnipeg is now in great shape, but they weren't necessarily in all that great of a situation when he was there either. So the benefit of the doubt went way down for me after it wasn't working out in Buffalo, but you are making the case that it's a strong team in in San Jose. Just as a matter of interest, uh, when he got his first assist with the Sharks last night, I don't, I don't know if you saw the highlight, but I didn't. And uh, this is a whole other kettle of fish when it comes to the NHL. But basically, the puck was in the corner, so he like uh, cross-checked from behind. He just filled the defenseman face first into the boards, just crumpled him, right. and just you know casually took the puck and fired it up front, and it got tipped in. And so people are kind of pointing out that, like, really, um, yeah, shouldn't like, that have been a penalty? A cross-check on the back numbers, face first into the boards, and no call, right? So well, that's that's a different issue. That's a whole together. other issue there, but good on him for. But yeah, hopefully uh, San Jose will have that core of leadership and sort of keep him in check and channel him in a better direction. I have to be—I have to be honest. I'm a little skeptical on this one just because of his history. But well, we remember his huge money thing with all the uh, the Twitter stuff. <laughs> I mean, if he wants to get the green, he's going to need to play yeah. down the stretch, the and John- I think he's going to do that. The Johnny Manziel of hockey. You got it. <laughs> well, guys, let's take a break, and when we come back on the other side, we'll have Patrick O'Sullivan from the NHL Network on Sirius XM Satellite Radio to join us right here on Hockey Talk. I think his scouts have do, done an incredible job of, of mining talent in the later rounds, cashing in on their first round picks, and finding guys that uh, are playing for their team. Like, Welcome back to Hockey Talk across the province on Eastlink TV and, of course, locally on Blue Water Radio 91.3 FM. I'm Steve Fitzsimmons along with Paul Hillier and Andy Clark, and we're pleased to be joined by Patrick O'Sullivan, the analyst on the NHL Network on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Patrick, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're great, thanks. What an exciting week. Uh, maybe not as many uh, deals as we've seen other years, but they seem to wait to the last minute this year, and uh, some blockbusters, including uh, a big deal by the Tampa Bay Lightning with the New York Rangers. Uh, just your thoughts maybe to start with that deal. That yeah, was a big deal. You know, we we started our show at uh, at 3 o'clock, and, you know, we opened our, our segment there with the fact that it was a bit of a dud. And five or six minutes into our show, the McDonough deal comes through, and you start to get the details uh, with all of that, and and that I think that kind of saved the day, as far as uh, you know the the media aspect goes, and I think for for the fans who look at that day as something that's really entertaining, I think I think it kind of saved it. I think too, though, even even though Carlson didn't go anywhere, that the whole speculation and talk of him potentially going. And then, you know, that was the other thing, too. Shortly after 3 o'clock, finding out just how close that deal was to getting done with Vegas um, was just pretty crazy. But, you know, to answer your question with McDonough, I think that deal is uh, it's, it's a game-changer for that team. I think McDonough, you know, he's going to be on the ice whenever Hedman isn't. When games get tight uh, in the third period in a playoff game, uh, it, it's just it's it's really nice to have two guys that are that good that you don't have to play together, and you know obviously they're both left hand shots, and they just it just really stabilizes that defense core, and I think J T Miller is a really good player too. I think he can provide the same amount of offense the Mestikov was providing, and also do some things the Mestikov can't do. So. I think it's a great trade for Tampa. I think Steve Eisman is probably the best GM in the league right now. If you look at what he was able to do to make sure that Stavkos was going to stay, uh, Kucherov's contract is a joke with how, yeah, with how little they're paying him. And a key part of that, though, is, is having a, a group of guys that want to be together because they want to win. 
right? And, and that's why Stamkos went back there. Not because of the tax break, not because he was picked first overall, not because he wanted to, to play for the same team his whole career. He wants to win. And that's the same reason I think that, that Carlson is going to leave Ottawa because there's, there's no future there for him as far as winning is concerned. I think the other underrated factor in, in, with Steve Eiserman in his favor too is I think his scouts have do, done an incredible job of, of mining talent in the later rounds, cashing in on their first round picks and finding guys that uh, are playing for their team like you know Andre Palat that was a seventh round pick but also guys that are in juniors right now um, you know the Taylor Radishes the uh, Boris Kachuks that are going to come and, and they're going to be they're able to give up Brent Howden and their first round pick this year as a result of that yeah it's a, it's a great point point it really is and that's what good organizations are are built upon really in, in today's game you have to draft and you have to develop well. There's no, there's no other way to do it. You can't go and rebuild your team in free agency. It doesn't happen anymore. Guys get paid a lot younger, and the good ones don't leave. It's very rare. The only time they leave is when there's something that they don't like that goes on within their organization. The Carlson situation with the owner is a great one. What's going to happen with the Bears? Uh, that, you know that's that's along those same lines, but but even too to, to take it a step further, to develop guys that aren't necessarily surefire NHL prospects when they come into your team, a guy like Yanni Gord playing the East Coast League, and to have the proper coaching staff and and development coaches to work with a guy like that in the American League um, to turn him into a legitimate top six forward that that does a lot of really good things on the ice. Uh, it's just, it's really impressive. It's obviously a good organization. It starts with the owner. And, you know, Eiserman is, is, you know, comes in shortly after him. And I think they're the best team in the league on paper. Now, as we know, that doesn't mean anything. But I think certainly with, with what they have when they're healthy, uh, they're dangerous. And the other thing, too, that I don't think John Cooper gets enough credit. His willingness to adjust on the fly, his willingness to adapt his his line combinations the best coaches in the nhl aren't too stubborn to realize that sometimes the game plan they go in with isn't working and you have to change it and mike babcock to me is on the opposite end of the spectrum he's obviously a good coach but i think he's he's way too stubborn with what he thinks is right and wrong and i think it hurts his team at times and and john cooper does not have that problem he's he's very open-minded i think he talks to his players I know Brian Boyle really well, and you know he he's played on a number of different teams and he's been around a long time at this point. And, and he said John Cooper is uh, is the best coach he's ever played for. I think a lot of guys respect him, and in today's game, I think you have to approach it that way. It's a, it's a younger league; you can't bully players, you can't treat young guys like you used to treat them. And you know, John Cooper is just one more thing that that is, uh, I guess, in the in the column of doing things right when it comes to Tampa. So so picking up on your idea of like coaching styles and things like that, we were having a discussion right before the break about Evander Kane and uh, whether or not going to San Jose where they have a strong core of leaders like Pavelski and Burns and Thornton and also the coaching staff there, that they might actually be able to corral him and, and get him going in the right direction. What are your thoughts on Evander Kane and San Jose? Yeah, I think that is actually one of the few places that could take a personality like his on and kind of keep it in check. Joe Thornton picked him up at the airport. Um, that's the first time that, you know, if you weren't sure, Evander, that this was going to be something that is a important thing to understand with, you know, the leadership here and how we do things, I think Joe Thornton picking you up at the airport when that isn't close to being required of him no. <laughs> is, uh, is kind of the last thing he would have needed to know that, you know, this, this is about winning, and nothing else matters. We want to win, and when we win, we do well as a team. Everybody uh, gets rewarded individually, too, and that's something he hasn't been able to experience yet. He hasn't played in the playoffs. He hasn't played on good teams. So I, I think that's part of it, too. I don't think he's the worst guy in the world. I think he had some difficult stuff at, at different points that he had to deal with with teammates and kind of maturing, but I think he knows there's a lot on the line for him. So... You know, I, I also think San Jose wants to keep him. 
I, I think if he does well, he'll resign there. It's, it's a great place for him to play. He's not in any kind of media spotlight there. He can just go do his job, and he's going to get paid if he has a good stretch run and, and, and plays well in the playoffs. And I think that's obviously what, what every player wants, but that's what, what he wants too. And out of all the teams that were potentially interested, I, I think that is a great fit because they need what he brings. And they have the players there, like you mentioned, and also the coaching staff to keep some of that nonsense um, out of the question. And I, I've gonna, he's he's gonna. I think he's gonna do well in San Jose. But let's go touch on a, on a guy you mentioned a, a few minutes ago that didn't get moved at the deadline. And and I was actually a little bit shocked that he didn't get moved. Is John Tavares? Um, where do you see his future with the Islanders? Because I mean, I'm sitting in the, watching that show on Monday, going, "There's no way he doesn't get moved because the Islanders is all are they're all over the place. They're not going anywhere." He's in a situation like Stamkos. He wants to win. He wants to be on a team that wins. Is there any chance he stays with the Islanders after this year? Wow, it's a, this is a tough one because I, I think John's a, he's, he's kind of a unique guy. He's very loyal. He's very quiet. Um, the reason I think he wasn't moved is because he, he wouldn't have been willing to say to the team that picked him up that he was going to sign moving forward with them. So, there's no organization in this league that's going to take a chance and, and spend those assets on a guy if you don't know that you're going to have him for the next six years. So right. that's probably why, why he wasn't moved there. But, um, you know, I, I just don't I don't see what, what the Islanders have for him to put the faith in that organization that he's going to be able to win there. He's such a good player, and Carlson too. These guys are they're at a level where – Frankly, there, there's not much more left for them to prove individually. It, it's quite obvious those guys are both top 10, top 20 players at the very least in the game. Two of the best players to play in this league in the last decade. Uh, Franchise-altering players that have kind of single-handedly turned their franchise in the right direction since they arrived. So what's left? Well, I'll tell you what's left for a guy like that is your legacy. And if you don't win... Right or wrong, we look at guys this way. We, we talk about it all the time with the Hall of Fame or when you're just comparing two players. If you look at player A and he has a cup and player B doesn't and everything else is the same, who do you give the nod to? Well, yeah. it's the guy with the cup. So I, I think that has to be first and foremost. It's not money. He doesn't need any more money. And he's no. going to get it wherever he goes. He's gonna, that guy is going to make well, money when he retires. Uh, other than $350 for a Uber, Uber ride, apparently. but Right, and then that whole story comes out with Carlson. And it, it's just like, I, I think those organizations aren't stable enough for either one of those players to put their trust in and say, this might be my last contract. I might even retire before this last contract is up. So... Am I going to have a legitimate chance to win? And I, I think the answer to that is is maybe, maybe, and that's not nearly good enough for either one of those guys. So I, I think they both are gone this summer. Patrick, uh, I was absolutely shocked to not see uh, Max Pacioretty moved by the the Habs, especially when they they obviously made the big trade with the the Leafs. You know, something that uh, they haven't done in their historically very often. Thomas Buchanan and, of course, Kyle Bond for Valiev, Reichel, and that second rounder. Um, first of all, I guess your thoughts on the trade with the Leafs, and did you think they that was decent value to 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 give for Buchanan? But also, um, were you surprised that Pacioretty wasn't moved as well? Yeah, I'll start with Pacioretty because I think it's it's. Uh it's pretty simple. I think Bergevin's trying to maybe not save his job because for some reason I think the owner there really likes him. And I think the owner's going to give him a chance to kind of see through this, I don't know what you want to call it, a rebuild or mini-rebuild, retool on the fly here these next couple of years. So I don't think he patched any that move was going to save his job or anything like that, but I think that move has to be a home run in his mind. And if, if he felt like they... You know, there's going to be more teams interested at the draft than there are at the deadline, and he thinks he can get more then. I guess that's why you wait. But, you know, I'm sure you guys saw what Pacioretty said this morning. But this, this guy is me- mentally, I don't think he's, um, I don't think he's down for playing in this city 
in in the future. Like I think he's had enough of it. I don't think he ever should have been captain. I don't think his personality is well suited for it. I think it's been hard for him. And he pretty much said that. He said, you know, I, I don't think it's fair how, you know, guys are treated in the city. You know, they have guys with families and everything else. And he, he might be right, but you just, if, if you were really thinking about your future and you thought I was going to, I'm going to stay in this place long term, you just don't say that. Yeah. You open, your, you open yourself up to criticism and there's already people all over him more than they already were in the first place. So I just think, Bergerman probably believes he can get more at the draft for him, and there will be more teams involved because at that point, teams obviously have a much easier time looking at their financial situation big picture at that point. So, right or wrong, I think that's the case with Patch Ready. For the least, I like Bokanic. It's a good pickup. I don't think he's much more than a fourth-line centerman on a good team. And when the Leafs are healthy, I think that's what he is. So, He's better than Dominic Moore. Uh, you know, I think he's a guy that Babcock will like. And I just think it, it's it's an upgrade in a spot that maybe you need upgrading on, maybe not. I mean, we like to talk about depth and what it's, what that means in the playoffs for the center ice position. i got to be honest. There's not too many teams that, that, that win because of who their fourth-line centerman is. So, I think, truthfully, it's it's a it's a small move, but at the very least, if someone above him gets hurt, and you're seeing it now with Matthews out, he is capable. He can go and play with guys that are skilled. He's had a great career. I know this year's been a struggle for him offensively. The last couple have been, but he's not going to be overwhelmed with having to play with guys that are talented. He, you know, he's I think he's 19 games away from a thousand, and you know, for a long time, he was Montreal's number one centerman. And probably not suited to do that job, but but he had to deal with it. And I think he's a guy that has a lot of playoff experience, and um, it's a good deal. I, I don't think they gave up much of anything. Truthfully, I don't think the guys, I don't think Reichel's ever going to play for the Leafs. I don't think Valiev's ever going to play for the Leafs. And then the pick is somewhat irrelevant because it's a it's a crapshoot when you when you're talking about anything after the the fifteenth pick in the first round as far as what you're getting impact wise. So. Small deal for the Leafs, but but one that may help them. I'm surprised they didn't get a defenseman because I think that that's their Achilles heel, and I think that's what will be their uh, their downfall in the playoffs. And of course, with uh, the Leafs adding Placanich, I mean they didn't get the defenseman that we all know they need. Um, but uh, they, the one thing with Placanich is that uh, Matthews is getting hurt. It seems like an, an abundance of times now, and I mean he's only in his second year. How's his health going to be as he gets on? Is he going to be a guy that's going to be on the injured reserve more than he plays? So uh, Pukanich may, may provide more um, depth than we really think of it in the playoffs if uh, Matthews keeps getting hurt, because this is, what, the third time this year he's been out with an injury? Yeah, he's been out quite a bit for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good depth move for sure. Uh, Patrick, your thoughts on, uh, I mean, one of the intriguing moves of the day, obviously we were watching this uh, Eric Carlson watch, and, and that came down to the pretty much uh, 258 or something. And then the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights decided to get in gear and make a trade with the Detroit Red Wings for a pretty good forward in Thomas Tatar. They give up their first rounder, a second in 2019, a third in 2021. I mean, he comes from a good program. This guy's, you know, a 2025 goal scorer, a younger player. Um, it's unprecedented, really, for an expansion team to, to do such a thing. But, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on Vegas taking a swing at this? Well, it's interesting. I think they're they're in a situation where they can take that money on that, that he has. He has term. I think they like the player, obviously, if you trade a guy that has three years left on his contract. I think he's probably making a little bit more than he's worth. But if you can afford that, what difference does it make? So I think that's why Vegas, they saw an opportunity to get a player that they like, and his cap hit, for the most part, is irrelevant. By the time he needs a new deal, um, you know, that, that's not going to matter as far as where that franchise is at and, and what their, their, their own cap situation looks like. I mean, that was why they were going to be able to get Carlson, right? They could eat that Bobby Ryan contract, and it, it doesn't phase them. So, you know, it, it's, a smart, it's a smart move. When you, when you look at their forward group now, they have three really good lines. I'm interested to see what that team does down the stretch here. You, you can see in the last two nights when they've had to play L.A., it's a desperate team, a good team with experience. When things got 
you know, when things got tight and, and L.A. is real desperate for points here down the stretch, Vegas looked, they looked a little different. I'm not one of those people who thinks there's smoke and mirrors with that team at all. I think they're legit. I think they're really good. I think they're going to be a challenge for anybody who plays them in the playoffs. So I'm not saying they're going to flop or anything like that, but it's different. It's a different experience the first time you have to deal with any of any of that stuff when you're playing a team that, that is that desperate, that knows what's on the line and everything else. So I think it'll be interesting to watch Vegas. Look, it's been an unbelievable season for them. It's been an extra element of, of entertainment, I think, for fans. And it's a great story. It, it really is. Those guys, you know, so many guys in that team have had career years. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy for them as a former player to see guys who, on the surface, it, it may have looked like they were castaways. But the reality is most of them were, were, were good players. Not great, but good. And all of a sudden they were given a bigger role. And almost all of them have run with it. And, you know, it's, it's fun to see they're going to get paid. They're going to extend their careers. And, you know, they, they, they have a good team already, and that's, that's good for the league, and that's good for the people that are paying money to go and watch that team in Vegas. Uh, one move that uh, it was a bit earlier, so I think it's a, a little bit uh, flying under the radar with all the dust of the trade deadline was uh, Phaneuf going to L.A. And uh, I love that because uh, with Ottawa eating some of that contract, and then when they have Doughty and, and the defensive core they do, they're not expecting him to be the 1A guy. And I think that's a situation where he flourishes. And also his wife is a Hollywood actress, so being in L.A. is perfect. And I know already in his first few games he already had three goals. So what, what are your thoughts on, on the FNUF, uh trade there? I agree. It's, it's a good deal. I, I think um, he, he looks comfortable there. Your point about him not having to be the second-best defenseman on this team is correct. He's not, and he doesn't have to be. I honestly think he hasn't played this well in, in a decade since he was in Calgary. Mm-hmm. He looks more calm. He's making plays he wasn't making in Ottawa or Toronto. And I think it's just it's a comfort level at this point. He, knew, he knows what he is as a player. Everybody really knows at this point. But when you have the contract he has, that comes with expectation. And I think that expectation was misplaced in Toronto. I think it was misplaced as well in Ottawa, although not to the same extent. And now in L.A., he's coming to a team that's already won a bunch. Uh, his wife wants to be there. And I just think he's comfortable. And he probably realizes this is the best chance he's going to have to win a cup, maybe in his whole career. So he knows, he knows what's on the line. And he just looks like a, a veteran guy that's obviously experienced and adjusted to a new situation really well. Patrick, you you know, Rick Nash was uh, obviously one of the highly touted names out there that uh, the Rangers were able to move to Boston. And for me, I thought the return was absolutely crazy what what the New York Rangers were able to get for Rick Nash, getting a uh, you know, pretty good young player in Ryan Spooner. And then I know they picked up Bolesky's money and, and his contract, but to get a first-round pick as well and a seventh, uh, I mean, I thought it was significant overpayment. Is there a reason that it might not be? Yeah, well, I, I think, first of all, the, the first-round the first pick might be 30th overall when all is said and done. Right. So you're getting, you're getting to pick between 25 and 31, so... Those are worth not nearly as much as anything in the top 15. Um, if you look at if you look at the the numbers behind this, anybody picked after pick 15 in the first round, they have like a 35 percent chance of playing 100 games in the National Hockey League. Second round picks have about a 25 percent chance of playing 100 games in the National Hockey League, and from there it falls off the table. So I know people like draft picks, and they're great because you can do a lot with them, and if you trust your scouts, you can find guys, you can develop them, and everything else. But it's far, far from a sure thing. So I think you saw the picks that were traded, first-round picks, and I know there was more this year than there have been in a long time, maybe ever. They're all late. They're all going to be late-round picks, and it's not as big of a deal to give those up, I don't think. And also, if if you're a team like Boston who has depth, and young guys and prospects, whether they're on the team already or they're drafted already and in junior or they're in the American League, you're looking at that first-round pick and you're thinking, well, even if we pick this guy, we pick a guy with that pick, odds are you know, he's going to have to bypass a bunch of people. So that means you value that pick even less 
So I think you, you kind of have to go team by team here with with what those picks actually are worth to which team. So I like Spooner. Um, I just think Boston saw an opportunity that they thought they could help their team by, by getting a guy that has experience. And uh, if, if you have to overpay a little bit for that, then I, I think they're okay with it because of all the good young players and depth that they do have already. Patrick, just before we let you go, um, the Winnipeg Jets for once uh, took a swing at this thing. Uh, you know, they, they've obviously uh, assessed that they have a, a pretty good chance this year, um, that their core is developing, and they and they go for Paul Stastny from the St. Louis Blues. And, uh, you know, Kevin Sheveldayoff's been criticized in the past for maybe, you know, be standing pat a little too much. Uh, what are your thoughts on that deal for the Winnipeg Jets? Yeah, I, I thought it was smart. I thought it was... I thought it was probably the best deal because I don't think they were competing with anyone else on Stassi, right? Because he has to wave with no trade. And the only place he was going was, was to a team that had a chance to win. And if, if you're negotiating under those circumstances, you're, you're somewhat doing that behind the entire league's back. Um, now, obviously, though, if you're St. Louis and you're Doug Armstrong, you get a call from from Winnipeg about a player, you're going to take that and go to other teams with that information and see if maybe anyone else wants to nibble and have any interest. But um, I think they address a situation that, truthfully, they already have depth in, but I I would say Lowry's health is a question mark. And now, when he does come back, he's your fourth-line center. And, I mean, that's probably as good as it gets in the West as far as depth goes up the middle there. So I think the Roslevic situation, him coming from Manitoba and them realizing this guy's too good to go back, we, we're going to keep him. So now they have three lines of wingers that are offensively capable. And to add Stasny as your third-line center lets you play three lines that you know, lets you play in a fashion that where you can just roll your three lines out there, and on any given night, either one of them could be the one that puts you over the hump offensively. So it's a smart trade. They've been patient for a long time, maybe too long in some people's eyes, but they waited, you know, for a point where they felt like they could make a good deal, and they only make deals there when they feel they can improve the team. And the Truba one, the Truba situation is a great example of a patient organization taking a page out of. Steve Eiserman's book, and not panicking because you have a young guy who might say something publicly with his agents because he's frustrated about his contract. If you trust the player and you think the player is only going to improve, don't get upset with with a comment, and just remain calm. They did. They kept him. They got him on a, on a pretty friendly deal team wise, and he's been their best best defenseman all season until he got hurt. So now when he comes back, they're even better and. You know, that Nashville-Winnipeg game last night was amazing, and hopefully we can see those teams play in the playoffs. Patrick, we appreciate your insights, so we enjoy your work, and uh, we wish you all the best and appreciate your time tonight. Anytime, guys. Take care. Thanks. Thanks there so you much. Have it. Patrick O'Sullivan of the Analysts on the NHL Network on Sirius XM Satellite Radio and uh, a regular guest on a yearly basis, and we appreciate his time, and we'll be back with more on Hockey Talk right after this. But he's won two cups with Chicago. He's a plus two with Ottawa so far this year on a team that was lousy where Eric Carlson's a minus 15 or whatever. Don't miss MWO Sports. We cover everything from hockey to golf, football to baseball, and everything in between. From the pros and elite athletes to our great local sports leagues in Midwestern Ontario, you can get all the latest news you could want to feed your need for sports. For hard-hitting exclusive interviews with guests all over the sports world, tune into MWO Sports with Ryan Drury, Steve Saberin, and Chris Clark. Fridays at 5 p.m. Only on Eastlink Channel 10 and HD 610. Available only to Eastlink customers. And welcome back to uh, the final portion of this week's Hockey Talk show. Uh, guys, uh, it was a good chat. Patrick, again, uh, it's nice to have He's our, what, our, our only four-time guest on the show. A uh, lot of knowledge so in that up. man and uh, great opinions. And uh, Well, let's get to uh, the Twitter poll, perhaps, Andy, and uh, see what we have for this week. Yeah, the Twitter poll uh, tied in nicely with our trade deadline because it says, as the trade deadline looms, uh, what would you most like to see the Toronto Maple Leafs do? 
And uh, this will be up on the screen, obviously, for our East Link TV viewers, but uh, just for the sake of our radio audience. Uh, the choices were stay pat, no major moves, uh, go after mobile defense, which we've heard a lot of people mention here today yeah. was uh, they were hoping for, uh, go after gritty player or players, or go after scoring forwards. And uh, the people spoke, and as far as going after scoring forwards, 3%. Was behind that. They got lots of stories. Yeah, they got lots of that because they already have that. So I wasn't too shocked, but to be scientifically accurate, I thought, okay, we better give that option. Um, and then uh, the next one that was least uh, popular was go after gritty players because it's not as necessary in today's NHL, and uh, I, I think they're uh, they're kind of covered in that category if they really need to, right? They can mix lineup switches and. Uh, his name's eluding me there, but the Matt, Martin. Matt Martin, thank you. Yeah, they have Matt Martin in the deck so they can put in there. Uh, the third one was Stan Pat, no major moves, and that one 29% got behind. And then 55% of people uh, wanted the Leafs to go after a mobile defense. So they didn't get them, but uh, they also didn't have to spend the farm to, to get something too. So, You know, the, the thing about that, though, is uh, Johnny Oduya was sitting there as a waiver wire pickup, and I know Andy, you and I talked off off air and you really like that pickup for the Philadelphia Flyers and fantastic and, and yeah. you know what the cost is minimal I mean minimal salary minimal risk uh, nobody off your roster a depth move I don't know why the name police didn't make a, a, a play at something like that yeah I'm assuming it must be like on, on the, standings on maybe. the waiver order or something like that because uh, yeah the yeah. lower teams obviously get first, get first choice yeah. so we don't know if they made a waiver claim or not but it would have been a sensible thing to maybe do. Absolutely, because uh, he has four goals and four assists, which is right on par with what he's done through his very long career. But he's won two cups with Chicago. He's a plus two with Ottawa so far this year on a team that was lousy, where Eric Carlson's a minus 15 or whatever. Right. So he's steady, he's reliable, he's consistent. It kind of reminds me a little bit like last year when Pittsburgh picked up Hainsey going into the trade deadline and Underrated. just added that depth. And yeah, it eats up a lot of time and is just that stable force there. And I think Oduya can really offer that. I'm not a huge Philly fan, to be honest, but I think that was a very smart move on Philly's part. And, yeah, he makes a million bucks a year. So pro-rated, pro-rated it's not a lot. The rest, yeah. yeah, so there's grand or financially nothing, right? So, yeah. fantastic. Guys, in our last five minutes here, I mean, who was the biggest loser on trade deadline day, do you think? Paul, who do you think? Uh, you know, for, for me... And it's, it's not so much that they were a loser, but they weren't a winner either. Is the team that did nothing at all that I could see of any value was the Dallas Stars. Yeah, they didn't do anything. Like, were their general managers sleeping all day? Like this team is is fighting the, for to get into the playoffs, and they, they did help nothing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think they're they're cup contenders anyway, but they didn't do a thing to make themselves a little bit better because, I mean, they're on one of those teams that are they going to get in or are they not? And, I mean, I know there's revenue situations if you make it into the playoffs and how many rounds you get. So sure. you think they would have did something to, to make sure they got in at least and maybe got to play one round, but they did absolutely nothing. And I was uh, very disappointed in the fact that they weren't even mentioned, I don't think, all day on any of the shows I was watching. Yeah, no, I had them down as well. Um, I mean, the Washington Capitals, we heard they were in the Eric Carlson uh, trade talks right to the end, along with Vegas, and of course that didn't get done. And it might have uh, mitigated um, them being able to do other things because they were sort of in that logjam of trying to make something big happen as opposed to doing something smaller. So they didn't really get anything done, and uh, I mean, that's a team that, that really could have helped, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, are you surprised that we haven't heard about a, a Gilna signing? Uh, Jerome Aginla, sorry, <laughs> mispronounced um, him there. I don't know. I mean, did we think did we think somebody was going to grab him? Or do you think were think the Bruins maybe, maybe using him as a bit of leverage with some players about you know, or, or with some other teams that saying you know we're, you you can't ask too much of us here because we're gonna maybe sign him out of. He's still practicing in Providence, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think they did some other things, um, you know, obviously making a couple of moves and perhaps, you know, in an injury replacement situation, he could be somebody they call upon perhaps. Can, with he, his still be, can he still be signed? By the uh, end? There, uh... I think he had to be on a contract uh, the day of the trade deadline, which he is. So I think he, you know, you can call up a guy okay. and he can play in the playoffs. So I don't think that's an issue. He's with what Colorado right now? No, he's with Providence it? and so it'd be Boston. Oh, so he's in Boston. Yeah, he's Boston. So, so they still have the option of grabbing. I him think then. so. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I wasn't sure if he was actually signed or if he was just skating with uh, Providence. I, I believed he's yeah. he's signed, but but I could be wrong about that. Um, 
Andy, I mean, who's the big loser, do you think, from your perspective the, on the whole thing? Oh. I mean, is Ottawa a team, you have to say, like, you know come what, on, I, guys? I, I think this actually might end up not blowing up in their face, but I think the fact that Carlson is staying there might end up actually being not bad move because they actually have some decent pieces there. Like, you have Duchesne. Bobby Ryan, his numbers are terrible this year, but I've watched them quite a bit, and there's he's actually played really, really well. He's created a lot of offense. The puck just hasn't gone in for him a little bit. He's actually, and partly with Carlson, basically phoning it in since December at least. There was a lot of games where I was seeing Bobby Ryan being the only guy back on two-on-ones, and that's not what Bobby Ryan's paid for. No. So in that sense, I think uh, it actually might save them from themselves that Carlson is still there because with a few moves like Shabbat, Shabbat, sorry, he's coming along, Thomas Shabbat's coming along, they might actually end up being a decent team next year. Things can change in a hurry. Um, so I don't know if Ottawa's a big loser. I'm having a hard time. Maybe Montreal, I'd point at, not moving Pacioretty because, uh, again, maybe they'll get something more at the trade deadline there, but given what people are willing to pay for a 20-goal score and he's a consistent 30-goal scorer, I think they could have got something big. They could have knocked something loose. Okay, so a gray Bruce note here in our final minute. Uh, former Owen Sound Attacks standout defenseman Chris Begraw was traded to the New York Rangers for by Colorado for defenseman Ryan Reeves. Begraw, a former first-round pick of the Colorado Avalanche, they've obviously given up on him. He's a big, strong guy who can skate, who can play, uh, you know, a physical brand of hockey, but also has some a little bit of offensive upside in his game. You know, I really like that as a sort of a flyer pick by the New York Rangers to take a gamble on a guy who's still only. I think about 23 years old. It's pretty early to give up on a, a young defenseman with some talent. I mean, you know, he, he he went to Team Canada's junior camp a couple times. I think he played on their team once. You know, a guy that uh, I think the Colorado Avalanche might regret giving up on this soon. Yeah, they were bringing him along slowly there because I know it was a few years before he made his uh, NHL debut. But I, I actually, that's I, I didn't notice that trade. You're the first one to bring it to my attention there. So, And the other move. interesting thing, the Montreal Canadiens pick up Mike Riley from the Minnesota Wild. Mike Riley is the son of one of the owners of the Minnesota Wild. So they trade oh, wow. the one of the owner's sons to the Montreal Canadiens, an interesting trade, to say the least. It's a la like a Dale Kirby Hunter Reichel, and yeah. Kirby Reichel yeah. <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. Well, that's it for Hockey yeah. Talk, guys. Oh, uh, uh, next week, we got to pump up yes. next week there. Yes. Who do uh, we have, Andy? Uh, we have Jim Connolly, who uh, we're getting into some hockey history here. He was a silver medalist for Canada in the 1960 uh, Squaw Valley uh, Winter Games. And he also was a Memorial Cup winner for the Guelph Biltmores. And he played with quite a few uh, Hall of Famers like uh, Andy Bathgate and... Uh, Leap and Lou Fontanato. Yeah, Lou Fontanato and quite a few Dean Prentice and all sorts of just huge names. He, was going, he played back in the original six days. Hugely talented guy himself. And uh, we're going to be talking to him next week. Sounds good. So that's it for this edition of Hockey Talk, and we'll see you right here next week on Hockey Talk.